But what we have to do as Black women in that room is allow them to get it wrong and then allow white women to correct them. Because then that's, that's step one. And then hopefully at some point, they will be able to receive from us and have relationships with us. But until someone like Jen can jump in and help them to see it first, they're never gonna hear us. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. I want to take a moment to thank BMW of West Houston for sponsoring this episode of our Voices Matter podcast. BMW, of course, is known as the ultimate driving machine because of its precision and power. As someone who has driven a BMW for many years now, I can attest to that firsthand. But I think what's even more important, especially about this particular BMW dealership, is that it understands the power and the impact of giving back to its community. BMW of West Houston is known for its support of countless local charities, and that is important to us here at Our Voices Matter podcast. So if you choose to do business with BMW of West Houston, not only will you be getting the stellar first-class service that the dealership is known for, but you can also rest assured that you are doing business with a dealership that truly cares about and gives back to its community. Hi, everybody. It's Linda Laurel. Welcome to another episode of our Voices Matter podcast. One of the taglines of this show is to give each other permission to speak and to have the courage to listen with an open mind. When I was on the Clubhouse app a few weeks ago, I stumbled into a room where that mantra was in full display. It was a room filled with Black women and white women who were having an honest conversation about race. The moderators of the room were a Black woman and a white woman. And as I listened in, I was so enthralled with not only the the conversation itself, but the way that they moderated and handled the conversation in such a way that it allowed all the different voices to be heard. So, of course, I immediately reached out to both of them and I said, oh, my goodness, I have to have both of you on the podcast because I'm all about having the difficult, courageous conversation that is going to lead to more human understanding and connection. And Lucky me, they said yes, and this podcast is what you're going to hear now from Jen Buck and Tamara Johnson-Sheely. Tamara and Jen, it is such a pleasure to meet both of you virtually and have an opportunity to talk with you, and I was, I was just saying that um, when, so we met on Clubhouse. I happened to pop into a room that the two of you were hosting. And I was so, first of all, riveted with the conversation. It was very frank, open conversation about race and people's experiences. And it was a racially diverse group. And um, so I, I really wanted delve deep into that. But before we go there, I'm going to ask each each of you to give our audience just a quick backstory snapshot, who you are, what you do, and how you guys ended up doing this together. So Tamara, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity and and thank you for joining us in that in that hard conversations room. It, It gets it gets hard and it gets rough. So thank you for joining and and being a part of that. So I am Tamara Johnson-Sheely. I am a candidate for the United States Senate right here in Georgia. Um, I'm a Georgia native um, and, you know, been navigating these spaces here in the South all my life. Um, so, I, you know, I, I've come from through the beauty and barber industry. Um, so I've, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with, with these kind of heavy conversations. I had a large white clientele as a, as a professional in the industry. 
So I would hear things and just just my lived experience, I think that has allowed me to be able to, to join Jen in a space like hard conversations and talk about race. So interesting, because when I think about sitting in the my stylist chair and I've had the same stylist for 30 years. OK, so she's like family and, you know, the chatter and the things that go on and then you could hear the conversations happening in the chair next to you. And oh, my goodness, I never even thought about that from your perspective of what that must have been like for you to um, to be able to hear those conversations and how that might uh, inform the way that you see the world and how you think about things. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I had a, a large white clientele. And in, in the environment where I actually did nails uh, for 18 years. And in that environment, I always tried to give my clients room. So we weren't so close together with our stations. I'm actually owned the salon for 10 years. And so there's a, there was a lot of intimacy. So we were able to talk and not necessarily be heard, you know, and, and, and people felt safe enough to, to say things and ask me questions. Like I said, most of my clients were white. So for, for those years, I, I had an opportunity to engage with white people in a way that a lot of black people don't get to do that up close and personal. Mm, mm. And like you say, you become family. And I did this for so long. We, you know, we raised our children together. We went through life experiences together and we became more than just friends. I really felt like a lot of my clients were like family. Oh, I'm going to ask you to share at least one of those kind of conversations with us in a moment. But first, I want to get Jen here in on the conversation. And Jen, again, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, so tell tell our audience a little bit about your story and then how you and Tamara ended up getting together. Sure. So again, thank you for having us here with you. This is always wonderful. And I'm Jen Buck. I've been a professional speaker and trainer for over 30 years. So I started my career out at a startup and I was there for a decade. And during that time, you know, training was new and all of that. And so I ended up at during that decade actually getting certified to train 150 courses. And Discover Card has always been, this was the company I was with at the time when no one had heard of them, Discover Card. They were very progressive in their views about developing people and creating a culture that was equal. And um, I will even go as far as to say celebratory of everyone. And so diversity was a big thing for them. And as I left there after those 10 years, I've been speaking now independently for 24 years. And one of the big concepts or, or I would say topics, training classes that people ask for is diversity and inclusion. So I've spent 24 years in this space and it's just a part of who I am. And so when Tamara and I met, it was on Clubhouse and she heard me speaking and I don't, I don't ever take that out of my conversation. You know, all of the concepts around equity and equality and, and being an unapologetic, fearless rabble rouser is important to me. You know, I, I feel like we have to move this conversation forward. So it's always sort of a part of everything that I'm talking about, you know, because there's always, there's always another piece that is left out. Even if we're talking about women in leadership or we're talking about management and leadership, there's this other piece that no one wants to talk about. And so I always sort of bring those things up. And I think that's how Tamara sort of recognized maybe some things in me that she was interested in, you know, sort of pursuing further in terms of partnership. And that was, you know, we saw each other in several rooms on, or I should say heard each other in several rooms on Clubhouse. And before I knew it, she was reaching out and she had this idea. And the idea is exactly now what we've been doing in Clubhouse every week in hard conversations, white women, black women, let's talk. And this was her brainchild. She wanted to bring women together because we both have a strong belief that women are going to resolve this. We're the ones that are going to break down the systems. We're the ones that are going to have to unite to create plans that will push the narrative for all people forward. And we believe that. And so the first thing we needed to do was bridge the gap. And that was the idea that she had, which we've been doing now for three and a half months, you know, getting together and having these hard conversations weekly with other women. Wow. So Tamara, when you came up with this idea of bringing Black women and white women together and having these difficult conversations, what did you envision 
and what has been the reality? So let me tell the, the funny story. Because oh, <laughs> Jen tells it so sweet. <laughs> so the funny this story is, the is deal, right? this is the real deal, right? So I heard this white woman in, on Clubhouse, you know, literally like, you know, she didn't hold, like she said, she doesn't hold back. And I was like, who is she? And I literally one afternoon, I, everywhere this woman went in cl- on Clubhouse, I just followed her. You were stalking her on Clubhouse. I love it. <laughs> right. And I said, I, and I finally got the nerve to say something to her on stage in one of the rooms. I said, I know you don't know, but I've been following you all day. And look, and what made me feel better is that I wasn't the only one following her. All day. <laughs> there was another white woman that was following her all day. <laughs> well, what was it that she said that that just got you to the point where you had to follow her? I don't think it was what she said. I think it was everything that she was and it was everything about her that that came through in those conversations that she was not afraid to talk about race in a way that white people don't talk about race. And I'm like, who is this lady (laughs) who's enough to do this, who's courageous enough, who's, you know, knowing that white women are very uncomfortable with. But her approach, though, what I loved about Jen's approach was that it was done in such a way that they couldn't deny that she was what she was saying. Like it was it was undeniable, but it was done with love and respect at the same time. And I was like, I don't know who this woman is. I followed her all day and finally got the nerve to say something. And then I said, when I finally said that, she's like, let's connect. And I said, I want to have these conversations with white women and black women because I see that if we can figure this out, and I've, and, like, and I've had, like I say, in my space of doing nails, white women to ask me things. So going to your question about like what was you know one example, I remember one white woman saying to me, and it was she and I, one-on-one, and she said that white women are jealous of black women. And it took me back, like the same way you just looked, Linda. I was like, <laughs> huh? Like, I didn't even see that coming. But she she knew me well enough and she felt comfortable enough to say that. And I'm like, I said, why would you be jealous of us? I said, she said, because you're so strong. And I said, we don't want to be. <laughs> we don't want to be so strong. You know, we don't want to be. I said, if anything, you know, you guys have it made. You get to be home with your children. You have husbands that provide. We're mostly single. You know, a lot, lot of black women are single parents. Like I had to like dial her back. But then there's she still she's there was still something in that conversation where I felt like she was legitimately telling me, even though you're saying these things to me, Tamara, and I, you know, I see the difference between your life and mine. There, there's still some jealousy there. And I'm like, I, I still never really tapped into that, like where that came from with her. But I just want to you know, I just know that there's so much that we have to talk about that we don't that having this space on Thursdays is giving us an opportunity to do it. So Jen, um, one of the things like, so Tamara said, it wasn't so much what you said, it was just kind of your, you know, who you are and how you come across. And um, one of the things that struck me, and I'm going to ask you to try to kind of recreate for our audience, what was going on in that room that night. And because when I got in, it was toward the end and there was uh, a white woman who was um, in and out of tears and feeling like she was being attacked um, because she didn't understand some of what was being shared. Um, and she took it personally as an attack on, on her person. Yeah. And um, there was talk about how, because she is white, and I think Tamara, you came in and said, because there was another black woman in the audience or on the stage who wanted to address this white woman who was crying. And I think at one point you said, she needs to hear this from another white woman. And that's why we have Jen. So uh, Jen, I'm going to let you kind of pick it up from there and fill in the blanks and, and, and take it. Sure. So this woman had come in aggressively because she did not like how a black woman was portraying a woman in her office and she came in. Oh no. Well, we had one woman who came in that way and her aggression toward why do you have to say it like this? And, uh, you know, along with that, there were, there was chatter around, I'm not racist because my brothers are black. And the next thing we know, she's 
hearing from the other women about you know their experience and she's wanting advice but when the women do give her their experience very honestly she says that they're now attacking her and that they're getting angry so the angry white woman trope was rolled out and they're you know coming after her and then the white woman tears started flowing and so these women were trying to tell her and there were three women trying to tell her black women trying to tell her about their experience and all she kept doing was was kind of rolling out all the typical things of centering herself and making it all about her and getting attempting to get garner all of the you know sympathy because it works in a white home right when you are as a white woman not getting your way you roll out all of these things and what ends up happening is a white woman gets her way and anyone who says that is not the case historically is lying to themselves and so this is part of the work of disrupting these patterns because we can't one attack others for truth and two we can't roll out these same tired you know behaviors that are putting white women in this space of being the victim white women are very much the aggressor of what is happening right now to our black community they are allowing this and so what happened in that particular situation is that the white women just are sorry the black women just kept getting you know silenced by her tears and silenced by her accusations and tamara stepped in tried to calm everybody down and then she said that the woman needed to listen you know to me because for some reason there is this weird psychological glitch in our minds that says someone who looks like me will be able to relate to me or I can listen to them and learn from them because they're like me. And it's a glitch. It's absolutely a glitch, but it's human nature. And so I ended up trying to communicate with her two different times to get her to understand it. Another white woman jumped in and tried to get her to understand it and it wouldn't stop. And she just kept going. And eventually we had to shut her down completely. And I had to tell her very, very frankly, I am not going to support you. I'm not going to protect you. I'm not here to allow you to continue centering yourself when none of this is about you. None of this is 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 fair. None of this is right. And uh, I think she was pretty upset by that. I did reach out to her later and say, I, as a coach, am free to talk to you about this. I'll even give you free time to help you unravel this. And she never responded. She doesn't want to learn. Never. She didn't. She didn't. She wasn't able to receive it from you or or from anyone. No. Um, Tamara, in your experience, when something like this happens, um, what, what do you think, you know, Jen just said, you know, we've got this sort of psychological glitch, we take information, we're able to receive information in a different way and in a more receptive way, when we're getting it from somebody who, who we perceive to have the same experience that we do. Um, so how do you how do you get around that? Uh, what, are, what are you trying to do when you when you step in? uh and and try to handle a situation like the one we're talking about well i didn't want the black women to take her out <laughs> and i knew it was coming and i knew they were getting angry angrier and angrier and angry and i knew i'm like oh my gosh if 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 i don't help them to just allow somebody white to do this i, I already saw where it was going to go so i <laughs> i wanted the black women i kept tell, tell, telling them Mutual mics, mutual mics, because they were going to yeah, out. <laughs> and I remember you saying she needs to hear this from Jen. She yes. needs to hear this from another white woman. I'm yes. not trying to silence you, black women who are here to talk. I'm not trying to silence you. But this is a moment where she needs to hear from Jen. Yes, yes. And, and I knew that she was never going to receive it from us. So let's not even and it's not our work. It is, it, is, it is not our work, it's not our fight. It's white people's, white women specifically, it is their fight, it is their work to do. And we as black people have to sit back and, 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 and they're gonna get it wrong because most of the time, honestly, when, when the white women come into this room and things like this happen, they're, they're just getting it wrong over and over and over again. But what we have to do as black women in that room is allow them to get it wrong and then allow white women to correct them because then that's that's step one and then hopefully at some point they will be able to receive from us and have relationships with us but until these someone like jen can jump in and help them to see it first they're never going to hear us 
Jen, what what is the um, what is the the I guess the first thing? So when when you and Tamara begin one of these rooms, um, I would I would assume that you maybe come in with a particular topic or maybe a, a question or something to obviously get the the conversation going. But what do you what do you do? What do you say to make the white women in the room feel comfortable enough to ask the questions, state the feelings that they typically would never do in mixed company, if you will? Right. Well, you know, surprisingly, I think for a lot of people, uh, when they hear that Tamara and I do not plan. We don't have a topic. We don't have a plan. We do stay closely connected through the week and we always are sort of touching base and interacting, but it's never planned out. And we feel like that's kind of the beauty of what happens is that it just sort of organically rolls itself out and the conversation occurs. And we haven't had space where it's ever been silent, where it's ever been easy, if you will. But one of the things that we try to say in the beginning is that this is a safe space for everybody. And not only that, we don't we don't hold people back from participating. We are constantly saying, come on up, get up here. Come on. This is not one of those rooms where we are the only ones doing the talking. And so I think that what we've heard is that women feel like white women feel like it's a space for them to sort of untangle things, ask questions, get information they didn't realize. One of the things that I love that Tamara often says is that white women, we know how to navigate around you. We've been doing this for centuries. We know how you think. We understand your culture. We know how to work in your space. But white women, you know nothing about us. You know nothing about us. And so we also give that space to the black women to let them know how ex- how you know, exclusive they can be, you know, they, they keep the black women out, uh, how they can create these cliques of all white women on a work, you know, let's just say a, a, in within a workforce and the black women are not included. Um, we, we need those black women to step up and say that this is how it's been always. And you need to look at yourselves. And so while we don't want the black women to feel like they need to do a heck of a lot of emotional labor. It's a space where they get to express their disappointments, their anger, their their dismay and distrust of white women. And they have every right to distrust white women because white women eventually show their white behind. They eventually show their white behind. How did you how did you get to this point where you can be this frank and um honest about your race and and its role in our history and and the role that it that white women since we're talking about white women should be playing in this conversation that we're having right now how did how did you get here well i i have to give credit from the beginning to my stepdad my stepdad was raised in east la uh, they were extraordinarily uh, poor, um, never had a whole lot of anything. Is and he black or white? Just he's white. I apologize. Yeah, he's okay, white. No, and okay. Just so, so we know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so when he met my mom, who was actually from a very privileged space, uh, very lily white, like you would think, you know, um, sort of, you know, everything's perfect on the front kind of thing. And then my dad, stepdad, I was two, comes into the picture and he really disrupted an entire, I would say, lineage of white privilege that had been in my mom's world. And so the first thing I would say is my stepdad was really the disruptor and was insistent that we go to a very integrated school, that we we put the kids into a space where, you know, we can learn from what's really going on in the world. And so that's the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say is that because of that and where we lived and all of it, I was able to have really healthy relationships, but it wasn't until I found myself in my 20s working for that startup that I told you and went through diversity training. And it was just, I mean, eyes wide open. And so from that point, I've I've committed myself to not only being a DE&I trainer and doing the work for a long time, but also staying in training classes, because that's the thing that I will say is that this is like a muscle. And 
the the ingrained culture of of white America that is so deeply set in television, radio, beliefs, um, everything we have is about this white culture. And if you don't constantly stay in these courses and going through people's, you know, masterminds to stay constantly aware of what's going on, you're going to get to a point where we saw all these white people opening their eyes with George Floyd and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so surprised. There's there's nothing to be surprised about there. And so, and that I, I have to say that's because I've stayed in that space. And now I'm very active in the activism space in my community. And, and I am committed to helping uh, both the black and brown community where I live. And so I think it's just constantly staying committed to the learning. And, and I just have to be honest about what's happening. I mean, it doesn't help anybody to stay in this illusion, which is takes us, I will not go deeply into this, but when we look at the big fight right now around, you know, around critical race theory and people not wanting their kids to be exposed to it, the longer we keep our eyes closed, the longer this continues, you know? So that's kind of my personal commitment is to constantly stay in the conversation. Well, you know, this whole idea of, of just really trying to whitewash our history and pretend like it didn't exist is just, it's frightening. It's really frightening. And that's why it's important that you know, people like the three of us continue to have these kinds of conversations and make sure that our children actually know what the history is. So Tamara, when um, I think I asked this before and I'm going to go back to it because this kind of dovetails. So getting back to you and Jen in these rooms and these conversations that you're having, um, what has surprised you the most and, and what has been the reality versus what your initial expectation was, if you even had an expectation of what this might look and feel like once you got people into a room to have these kinds of frank conversations? I think I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at how many people want to have the conversation. I, I felt like there was some pe- some people, but our rooms are growing. More and more people are, are coming back and they're telling others and I'm just happy that we're now at a space and a place. I, sadly, we've had to get here, you know, through something like a George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. You know, we've had to get here through what, what now people are seeing on social media. Like you're seeing what we've been saying for centuries. You're seeing it in real time that it's still happening right here and right now. And I'm just I'm just happy that people are ready to talk and ready to have the conversation and ready to figure figure it out because this is not work that we can do now and we you know think that it's going to change everything no this is generations of work that needs to happen and i'm just glad that we're starting to do it you are both in what i would call high profile hot button states so you tamara are in georgia and jen you are in arizona in maricopa county to be specific um, which I think is even more um, interesting and, and inspiring that a Black woman in Georgia and a white woman in Arizona are the catalyst for talking this out and trying to get us on the same page so that we recognize our common humanity. Um, so, Jen, I'm, I'm going to let you pick that up and <laughs> share your thoughts on, on that dichotomy. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, Arizona is certainly not known for its, its love of diversity, but when you, you know, this is the cowboy state, right? Where we constantly look at a couple of states and go, it figures. Well, Arizona sadly is one of those, but I will say Maricopa County is a, a very unique and wonderfully diverse space that is, really committed to raising up our black and brown community and in our in our local governmental spaces it's it's really an, an incredible little microcosm uh, and we're seeing big change come out of the state because of it but i will tell you that tamara and i are now working on a bigger plan you know that goes beyond a clubhouse room and i'm going to pass this to her and it's something that in my mind, because my mind kind of goes there, like how big can we make this? 
I, I have big plans for it. But right now we're keeping it small and we are we're doing the work of getting more women on this page so that we can start reaching out to other states and we can start getting more women who have, and the key is white women, getting white women into this space and committed daily to doing the different actions that are needed to start breaking down these systems that they seem insurmountable, but they're not. And, and the minute white women decide that this is a big enough cause for them to all stand behind, regardless of age, regardless of you know what their political views are, if all white women can get behind this, that's when change will happen. And that's always been the belief that, that we've had around this new idea, which is white women for reparations. And we, Tamara, I'm going to let you kind of take it from here, but we just believe that if we can get women to, white women to see this and stand up to the system, that things will change. Mm. Tamara, she set you up beautifully. So uh, <laughs> she did. Was one she? hell of a team. <laughs> <laughs> wait to hear what this is. <laughs> she did. She, she, she does that so well. And she yes, does, she does. More, 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 more often. <laughs> days. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to answer your question first, Linda, about, you know, being here in Georgia. You know, this is still the old South. This is still Trump land. You know, this is still a, a red state. Um, but I can tell you that Georgia is ready. You know, Georgia is ready. And, and you can look back at 2018 when we had Stacey Abrams run for governor here in Georgia, and you had more and more Black people that were, were, were participating in the political process. There's a shift Happening. I do not believe that Georgia is a, a, a blue state, but I do believe that we're probably purple. So I think that there's a shift happening. Um, more and more people are trying to figure out how we navigate this today. So I, I think something is happening here in Georgia, and I'm really excited. And Jen and I, I and on, with my platform, uh, reparations is, is a big part of my agenda, you know, reparations for the descendants of chattel slavery. And I honestly believe that if foundational white America and foundational black America, if we can come together, I honestly, truly wholeheartedly believe that that is the bridge and reparations is what it, what it will take for us to get there. And this initiative, white women for reparations that Jen and I are working on, you know, this is where we bring those white women to the table who aren't afraid. Uh, there was a New York times article. There was a, a white woman in North Georgia who owns a farm who um, uncovered that her, family owns seven slaves. And now she's wrestling with, you know, what do we do now that we know? What, what, how do we make amends? How do we, how do we fix this? How do we move forward with knowing this? So there's an awakening that's happening in this country and more and more white people, more and more white women. I think if we, if we come together, I do believe we're, we're going to, we're going to get it right. But this is the start. And I'm just, I'm just so I feel so honored to be on this journey with Jen because, you know, like I said, I, I, I literally did stalk her that day because I was like, I don't know who this white woman is, but I want to know more about her and I want to work with her in some capacity. So it, it's, it's been a, a, a wonderful relationship. I think that the, you know, the whole idea of white women for, for reparations, that's, that's powerful. That is so powerful. And um, when I think about, um, you know, when Jen, when you were describing um, your mother's background as being, you know, lily white and white privilege, I was thinking it made me think about um, a, a colleague of mine um, who is white and from a very, you know, elite sort of background. And we had a really frank conversation about her discomfort with the term white privilege. It just really rubs her the wrong way just doesn't, you know, and, and, and I, and I said, well, why? And what, you know, what is it that, that makes you feel uncomfortable with that, that concept? Um, and, and she said, well, you know, my family, you know, were immigrants and, and we came, you know, from nothing. We didn't really have a lot and we worked really hard to get where we are, et cetera. Um, and so the, I, I never felt privileged and I, I, so I, you know, I, I, I have trouble with that terminology. And um, so, Jen, I'm going to ask you how you respond, because I, I would imagine you've had quite a bit of uh, um, experience in responding to that kind of comment. 
Yeah. And I think that really is probably the the first big roadblock when I'm working with people is that they have to realize that we're not talking about privilege in the sense of money or even status within, you know, a business community. It's not about that. It's about the privilege of being white. When you walk into a store, you're not followed because people think you're stealing. When you're trying to hail a cab, people don't pass you by because they are afraid of having a black person in their car, right? They automatically pick you up. It's understanding that as a white person, there are certain things with a benign name, like let's just say Sue Smith, my resume that I put in is not flagged and put off to the side, right? Because I have a benign name. Because of my white skin, I can go into spaces that my friends and and, and family and all of that of color, any color, can't go into. You know, they're immediately chased out. They're immediately questioned. They're immediately profiled. And so, I think that's part of the, the first hiccup that white people need to realize. We're not talking about privilege in an economic sense from the space of commerce. We're speaking about it from a place of ethnicity, from a place of sociology that says that you, just because you have white skin, you will get the benefit of the doubt every time, every time. So if something goes wrong, people will side with you because of your white skin over someone who has more melanin in their skin. Doesn't matter how much more, more. And so when we can finally get to a place where we realize privilege in this conversation is not about commerce, it's not about money, it's not about, you know, your wealth or how hard you worked or your granddad or whatever it is, it's, this is about sociology and how people can really slide through this world with white skin. But if you're a person of color, you're immediately doubted, you're immediately questioned, you're immediately not trusted. So we have to really start to break that down. If I say something, people believe it. If Tamara says something, people will start to question whether she has the education, whether she has the experience, whether she has you know, the real, the real information here. If I say the exact same thing, I'm believed out of the gate. Why? Because sociologically, that's what a white supremacist system has ingrained in us. Doctors are white. Attorneys are white. Uh, you know, bankers are white. So this is are not are the are the um, are not the norm. They're they're the exception to the rule. That's right. And so people have this belief that if you're white, you deserve to be in those spaces, right? You deserve to be trusted in those spaces. And that's the kind of systemic racism that we have to start acknowledging. You know, when you look at television, as far back as you go, there are very small exceptions to this, but television is white. It is, if you want to call it culture, it is the white culture, right? With very few small exceptions. And so when you think about what's being ingrained in us, what the system is putting into my mind about who's in control, who deserves to be wealthy, who deserves to have power, who deserves to be famous, who deserves, deserves, deserves. Uh The belief is in this system, white people. So when people start to understand that, I think they start to get rid of that commerce connection with the word privilege. So Tamara, when, um, when you hear what, what Jen has to say here, and then you think about, um, where we are now, and especially in the wake of the, the last year and a half after George Floyd, um, how, how much, if any, progress do you think we have made when it comes to, clearly we're having the conversation, you know, way more than we were before. And that's a good thing because not, nothing's going to change unless we're able to bring it out into the light and actually talk about it. Um, but but what have what have you seen? What what progress have you seen? And where where do you think the the most what are the next most important steps that we have to take? Yeah, I think the progress is with the next generation. They excite me. They totally excite me because you know these younger people. They have friends that are you know like look. My I, I tease my sons. I said their friends are like the United Nations. It's like everybody. (laughs) It's like everybody. And I love that. I love that this next generation, they're 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 they don't see it the way their 
fathers and their grandfathers, they don't see it the same way. And they have relationships with people of all ethnicities. And I love that. So that's where I see the progress with the next generation. I think we still have a lot of work to do with my generation and the older, you know, older generations. I don't know if they'll ever change. And I'm not, I don't think we should even try. We just have to work on making it right and better for the, for the children, the next generation. Um, so what was the second half of that question? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. And I don't remember actually, because I'm thinking about <laughs> actually just thinking that, um, you know, I, I agree with you that, that all, when every time I talk to a young person, I have so much more hope. So I, I have a daughter who's 27. And when I look at her and I look at um, the diversity um, and in her friend group and just the way they look at the world, it's just, mm-hmm. different, you know, yes. so much more naturally open and inclusive of everybody, regardless of you know, what they look like, what their gender identity is, you know, it's just like, hey, you know, we accept you for who you are and let's just get on with it. Um, and so that does give me hope. What is troubling to me um, you know, and, and I usually don't get, get get too political, but since you are running for office, so we could talk a little bit about politics here. Um, it's just this idea that, you know, we're having to fight once again for our voting rights and states, including mine, and, and I think both of yours as well, are part of this national effort to restrict our voting rights. And if, if that effort is successful, then, you know, turning Georgia from purple to blue becomes that much more difficult, which is the whole point. Turning Arizona from red to purple to blue, you know, even though some strides were made in that direction in the last election, you know, we've got to do something. We can't just wait for those who are in power to no longer be here. So what, what do we do in the meantime I know what the three of us are doing and so many more is that we're having these conversations and we're talking mm-hmm. about this stuff because it has to start somewhere. So I don't know. There's a question in there somewhere, but Jen, I'm going to let you go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. This is, this is all the system working exactly like it's meant to work. You've got to be very honest about that. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, this is exactly how white men in power are maintaining their power. So if, as long as we can all identify that there is a there is a plan in place that's working perfectly for those in power, then we start to realize what really is going on in the system. And if you are a person of color, if you are a woman, you are not a part of the system. So when we can collectively start to see where there is an intersection, right? In this fight, I think we're going to see more people who stand up and are willing to ask their candidates who are running, are you centering reparations? Are you center, centering the secure you know, nature of my vote? Are you fighting for the people who are incarcerated for decades because they have a marijuana conviction? And by the way, let's make real clear that that is Black men predominantly who are in for decades for a marijuana conviction. On the other hand, we have someone in the Olympics who sexually assaulted a white man, sexually assaulted another woman who got to be in the Olympics and, you know, compete for the gold. We have such a disparity that if we don't have constituents, people like me, people like you, who are willing to ask the questions about where those protections are going to go, where those laws are going to be fought for, how we're going to right this ship and create, you know, some parity, some equity, some equality, until people really stand up and realize, if you're not a white man, none of this is working for you, and ask the questions, I think that things will remain the same, because this is exactly as it was all designed. And, and Tamara, that is why you are running for office, I presume. One of the, one of the reasons is to change that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm hopeful to see more women run. Oh, my gosh. I'm hopeful to see more women more, more, more women of color, more black women. I want to see more women engage in politics. I think that we, we lead very differently. You know, we, we're, we're, we lead very differently. And I, I do believe that to me is, is the, is an answer. What is the, what are the conversations that you're, you said you have sons, how old are they? 
And, and what are you telling them about your reasons for running and what you hope to achieve in, in, in succeeding in office? Yeah, my sons are young adults, uh, 23 and 19. I can't believe it. <laughs> yes, young adults. You know, they see it and they see the world. And they, 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 I've been running for so long. This is actually my fifth run for office consecutively. I, this is my second U.S. Senate run. Um, the special election was in 2020. So this is my first time at a primary. Um, so they, they've, they've been around these political streets is what we call them in this house. We, we, they've been around these political streets with me and they see it. They see my passion. They see my love for people and, and just wanting to see America be great as it is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And Jen, when do you have children? I didn't even get a chance to ask. I do. That. She's 24. Mm-hmm. Really? And so what what is your what are your daughter's thoughts about? the work that you do and the example that you're setting and, and she's, you know, of that generation, just like all of our kids are who are going to be leading us into the future. Yeah. Well, she's a chip off the old block. So I'm proud of that. Right. Um, But I really felt strongly from the get that my job was not to uh, force her to do the things that I wanted her to do politically or, or in terms of the community, I just would always show up and I would always do and always offer the opportunity. But I was really happy to see that when she, you know, got to that space where she was asking questions that she wanted to know real answers and she wanted to have tough conversations. And she was out there with George Floyd. She was standing in those streets and she was doing the work and um, putting on her, she's got an Instagram page with 24,000 followers. And every day she was putting up information about how to support, how to put your money into spaces that will support those who are, are, you know, out on the streets and where to make sure your funds are going. And so I didn't have to tell her any of that. You know, she, she knows well enough how to create a community, how to you know contribute to a community based on what she's seen. But I never forced it on her. But to watch her become her own person and and be really aware of that stuff, much like both of you said, I have great hope for the next generation that they're going to get it right. I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah, I, I could not agree more. So last question for both of you. Um, I always ask um, our our guests to leave our audience with some some message of hope and inspiration. And you kind of did that just now, Jen, talking about your daughter, but um, like to ask you if there's anything that you would say to people out there who are feeling a little um, depressed or um, anxious about what the future looks like and feeling as though maybe, you know, no matter what I do, it's not going to make a difference. It's just going to be what it's going to be. What, what's your message? I think for me, because I get that way too, you know, I'm 100% human. And so I often feel like things aren't moving fast enough. And for me, it's, it's daily putting the right deposits in. I think that if I can stay in the conversation, if I can keep, you know, having courage, because this work is hard, it's scary, I'm not trusted, because I'm a white woman coming into spaces that I may or may not belong in. And so I think it's having courage every day to have hard conversations. And for me, it's, it's going into spaces of power where white men have the pulpit and asking why things are the way they are, what they're going to do differently, who they're supporting, how they're going to change, you know, all of those things. It's important for me to have courage and be brave and continue to put myself in spaces where I can ask the right questions to open up conversations. So for me, that that really is sort of my daily commitment to doing this work. And that's what, uh, what got Tamara stalking you when she first heard you. <laughs> so, Tamara, I'm going to let you and leave us with, with your message of hope and inspiration. Yeah, she's a warrior woman. And I felt the energy from her. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm a warrior woman too. So it was like, I got I to gotta be a part of whatever this lady's doing. <laughs> So yeah, for me, I, you know, I, I wake up every day and I'm like, you know, I, I, I pray. I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. So I pray a lot and I wake up every day. And the fact that I woke up, it's like, okay, there's another day to get this right. Whatever I didn't get right yesterday, 
I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. It'll work itself out. But I woke up today. Let me see if I can get it right today. And that's how I move into my day, like excited and encouraged, knowing that I woke up because somebody didn't. So I woke up. So I'm still here to do something. So I'm going to keep fighting and I'm going to keep going. I love it. I love it. Now, for those of you who are, are watching and listening who are not on Clubhouse, what the heck are you waiting for? <laughs> you need to get on. So if for no other reason than to be in this room with these two amazing, trailblazing, life-changing women who are just determined to do the work. Um, tell everybody when, what the name of your room and when you do it on Clubhouse. It's Thursday nights, right? Yes. Yeah. Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern every single Thursday. And we're now adding Tuesdays to the mix, uh, white women for reparations. So Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. We are coming together. All right. Well, Tamara, good luck to you on those um, political streets out there and uh, wishing you the best of luck in your in your run for Senate. And you just keep us posted and we'll we'll keep our audience abreast of what you're doing. And in the meantime, I'll see both of you on those clubhouse streets. OK, yes. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, you guys so much. so much. Loved this conversation. Take care. Bye bye. So I'm just fans for life of both of these women. Totally love what they are doing and the impact that they are having and can't wait to see what happens next. We, of course, will link to all of their information in the show notes so you can follow Tamara's uh, political campaign and her run for U.S. Senate. We'll link to Jen's podcast and all the work that she's doing as a trainer and a speaker, and we'll keep you posted as things progress. Thanks, as always, for taking time out of your day to join us and listen in and be a part of the Our Voices Matter podcast family. We so appreciate you. Please subscribe, like, download, share. You know what to do. Just do all those things and then join us here next time. We'll see you then. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.